Hey, I'm Heather Fisher, former Team GB, sevens player, um, 15s World Cup winner, and I am on the Loose Heads podcast. Yo, Loose Heads listeners, let's kick it. Loose Heads podcast. All right, stop. Turn it up and listen. Lisa back with a new conversation, something. Grabs a hold of me tightly. Emotions and fears in the daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Tackle the sigma and we'll know. Come in our clubhouse and set your mind free. Cause rugby's a place where I can just be me. Fish, welcome to the Loose Heads Clubhouse podcast. It's taken us a while to get round to this, so I'm very excited to have a chat. And the first question, as always, comes from our partners over at Talk Club, and that is, how are you today out of 10? 10, mate. 10. We've not had a 10 before on the podcast. I'm 10, mate. Why would I have a 10? 10. It's literally Thursday in the morning, it's half nine, so nothing's happened yet, right? Although my garden's a right mess, because that's the next project. I've got a coffee, I've got a smoothie. I'm all right. I'm 10. 10. I'm all right. 10. Rocky, how are you out of 10? Uh, I'm probably at the different end of the spectrum because I've had a very stressful morning. I've gone and done my gym session. I've since then found out that my laptop um, cable has been chewed by my puppy. <laughs> so I'm probably riding about a three right now. Oh. So, you know, we're only hoping that we're going to go up, especially with fish on the program. Yes, let's bring you up. To be fair, I have had a stressful morning, rocks. Like, my nan's, my nan, a boring story, but obviously real relevant. My nan got taken to hospital over Christmas, and she's still in hospital now. So she's on the phone, literally, literally two minutes ago, came, is it, she's French, is it, is it, when are you picking me up? When are you picking me up? I'm like, nan, I can't do it yet. Is it, oh, I'm like, so it has been, I feel like, um, you know, when you feel stressed that your, your breathing is like, I can feel it in my chest. Yeah. yeah, but that's the external factors, right? But dogs external, we can get over that, rocks. It's a dog, don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. You're just ready to rock and roll, mate. You take everything on as it comes. <laughs> the second question, it was pancake day the other day. You're both going to say zero because you're both athletes, but how many pancakes did you eat? Oh, oh well, uh, technically I had enough batter for probably 12, but I made four really fat ones that were probably a bit raw in the middle, but they were beautiful with... Shed loads of Nutella. Mm, fit. They're always a bit better, a little bit raw in the middle. I found. I think <laughs> I had four, right? My first one, my first one was with chicken. My second one was with salad. My third one was from crunchy Nutella from M&S. Look at Rock's face. And my fourth one was also the same with a little bit of chicken. I went salad and peanut butter to get, like and crunchy thing together. Look at your face, Rob. Yeah. If you're going to do it, and, and I also went ham and cheese savoury. Sorry, I forgot that one as well. Um, sorry, did you just have a salad yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is but wrong it with you? It wasn't how you think, right? you got to, don't just see you try. It depends how you make your salad. Your dressing's absolutely crucial. Yeah. But did it's you have cheese in it? Like, it's got to be lamb's lettuce. It's got to be olive oil. It's got to be feta. It's got to be lemon juice. It's ah, got there you go. certain things in it. That's your salad, yeah. mate. And then a savoury one, a salad one, and then two sweet ones to finish. You may as well do it. If you're going to do it, right, you go big. Go big or go home. But crucial ingredient was the cheese you had in there. Now you've got my attention. <laughs> and each, each week, Fish, the guest from the episode before uh, leaves a question for uh, the next guest. So last week we had an MLR special with, uh, with Lucid's ambassador, Will Hooley. And his question for you is, at what point in your career 
So that can be a match, a season, a tour. Did you feel the most free or the most in, or had the most enjoyable moment and why? Under James Bailey, Commonwealth Games 2018. Simples. Freedom to be myself. Freedom to be myself. The coach, the coaches for me have been absolutely paramount in my career. Good yeah. and bad. I've had very bad. I'm not afraid to say it, but very bad coaches. And coaches who have literally been not been afraid of my character and allowed me to be myself. And the ones who have allowed me to be myself is where I flourish because there's no thinking involved. I can just be me. Whereas as soon as I've had coaches who try and put me in a box and want me to be a certain way, I'm stressed about how to be, not actually about the game. So I've had very low moments of coaches and then I've had real highs where I can be completely free. And one of those moments was 2018 Gold Coast. Yeah. Interesting. We've been speaking to James Bailey recently. He's just taken on a new role at the RPA and we're going to be doing a bit of work with him. So he's been a, a great bloke in that. And yeah, he's um, he's a top bloke. Yeah, he's a real nice guy. Rocky, what about yourself? Um, oh, probably, probably actually around World Cup um, 2014 when we won. Yeah. I felt really empowered in peak condition like really trusted by the coaches and I, yeah, I would say I was probably at the height of my game and, and having that um, that freedom just to have have the confidence to help call um, plays, recognise things, given a leadership role and, you know, I really understood the game and was able to help um, implement certain plays and that, and that was really cool. So yeah, I'd say probably then 2014. Yeah. Interesting that you both used the word freedom. Um when you're given the freedom uh, to be yourself, it, it allows you to express yourself and be the player that, that you are. So very interesting. And um, I, I think let's let's start the podcast by talking about something that's been on our TV screens in the past few weeks. Fish, you've been taking part in a, in a BBC programme called Go Hard or Go Home. For those who haven't seen it, can you just give us a little bit of a, a background on the show, what happens and, and how it works? You get a phone call to say, Fish, you want to go to the Caribbean? You're like, yeah, cool. <laughs> I was only, I was only uh, why not? Why not? Select me now. But I was only I was only six weeks post op um, knee op, so I was a mess. Um, the first two three weeks, uh, Andy Williams was like fish. There's no running. There's no running until at least four months time. Episode one, I was running up and down a trench, whatever it's called, with a frigging box of rocks. That's what happened. That's what happened at my unfittest, softest. Awfulest condition, I ran through that trench, hating every box. But Go Hard, Go Home is basically um, filmed on a desert island in the Caribbean, Dominican Republic. I think we're there for like eight weeks in total. Um, not a bad gig to get, to be honest. <laughs> um, and it's based around young people and their story, their life, and transforming them as people and mentoring them. It actually wasn't about us warriors, but mentoring them to get through whatever they're going through um, and changing their lives around. Um, but using using physical activity and using challenges on the island to help them realize their mindset and push them push their buttons and push their mindset. Oh, I love pushing buttons, pushing buttons to make them realize I've got this. So, what did you learn from the experience? Obviously, it was it was mainly about those guys, but there was probably some learnings for you. What did you learn about yourself? Yeah, to be honest, I think the biggest learning for me was. Um, I did it at a hard time. I'm not going to lie. Like the last 12 months since retiring has been a real weird transition. If I look back now and think, you know, I pulled out of Tokyo, watched that happen in front of me. That was really tough. And then not having my injury picked up. Then six months later, with the same injury, having my operation. That took me through to the next year. Uh, and, and simple challenges such as 
walking my dog. I couldn't do. Then have my operation in February and then being selected for that, you'd think, oh, the perfect start out of sport, like straight into TV. Perfect. In my head, it's been an absolutely hideous time. Um, so for me, the first, as soon as I was on the island, I, I kind of, you don't really, as soon as you're mentoring someone else, it all becomes about empowering other people. But I think the biggest learning for me is probably just understanding how to be, we're not all world-class. And I mean that from, I don't mean that from an arrogant place. I mean it from a place of, I've been operating at this level for, oh my God, all my whole life. From from England rugby from 16, straight into bobsleigh, straight back into sevens and 15s. And so that's 25 years of my life. And now I've just retired at 37. So when I think about that, and then I'm mentoring a young person who's struggling just to identify who they are or because of what they've gone through, you have to switch your head, your thinking to, to, to go to that kind place. And it's not about beasting someone. It's not about hurting someone. It's not about, it's about understanding people. But did I learn something, Rocks? I'm not sure what I learned because I, I think what I was doing, I was just me. So I don't think I learned too much. I think what it was about is that I was really in touch with the side of me that I knew was there. That is the freedom part of me. So under James Bailey, where I could be free and could be kind and could be really chilled that that is what I was in touch with whereas other coaches and other other coaches I've been under oh my god my kitten's jumping up my my plant which is the most nightmare because my plant's got feelings and my kitten thinks it hasn't um under certain coaches it I've not been able to I've had to be someone I'm, I'm really not yeah so I tuned in, yeah I tuned in with someone who I knew that I could be and someone I'm probably now not afraid to be um, as opposed to someone that I, I had to be in my career, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and it was great to see the real raw you and, you know, recognising how you used to speak years ago on, on the pitch and how you'd encourage people. I remember doing some horrible running shuttle tests and you'd be there encouraging me. And, and it was so nice to see you just in your absolute flow just genuinely you and, and authentic is is part of being you and I, and I love that and it was great to see such a inspiring uh, fish on the table <laughs> and, and motivating that. No, I appreciate that. Oh my God, gosh, I appreciate you too. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. The um, postman's here and my, my dog hates the postman. Give me one sec because she'll keep barking. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I really appreciate the support. I think it was just, like, I didn't realise, actually, you know when you're in that environment of England rugby, like, it is doggy dog. And in some of the seven squads, it has been doggy dog. And that's actually, it's actually not me. You, you kind of live your life, like, not in a clown suit, but you live your life being the person that people think you are on the pitch. I'm not, and, I, and I, there's a certain stigma, isn't there, with people who are on the pitch, a certain way of being and run through people and be so strong and strongest but well actually can't really bother that's not really like that's just what I do on the pitch take away from the pitch I don't run through my friggin front door do you know what I mean I just open the front door I would love to see that you don't use a key you just bowl through it I feel like I'm on the island I probably just um so it's the most common question what did you learn but I think um yeah it's uh Probably still processing, but I think just being just being kind and being authentic and being real, just being real. It's a person's life, right? That's a per like Dimitri, who I was looking after at the very start. That's his life. That's how he feels. Who am I to question how he feels? I'm not going to tell him to be a certain way because there's nothing to tell him. He just needs to understand how to control himself. When you control yourself, you have the power of yourself, right? Yeah. I guess that comes back to 
what you were saying about James Bailey, about him giving you the freedom to be yourself. And I guess that's what you were doing as a coach with Dimitri is allowing him to be himself. I totally believe that when you get the person right, you get the performance. And a lot of coaches who I don't feel got the best out of me haven't understood me. Yeah. Actually, I don't think a lot of people have understood me. And that's in England as well. And I think um, and that's partly that's partly me just feeling I had to be a certain way. That's part of living up to an expectation of a culture that was there. And actually, yeah. you just get flung into the culture and you just be how it is. It's very hard to be yourself. And I think I've learned over years, especially more in sevens, because you're more exposed and you're more alone, which means you have to understand yourself more. Yeah. Um, so I probably learned over the years to just be myself. And when you, I, I truly believe if you get the person right, you get the performance right. Yeah. And I was, I was reading an interview actually last night that you'd done and it said, you know, sport is something you got into because it was the only place that you felt yourself. Um, and you've mentioned that in a, in a few, you know, in a few interviews and podcasts that you've done, but I guess you've, you've mentioned about struggling with that sense of belonging when you were growing up. Can you just, I guess, talk about where that journey began and how you found a passion in, in, in sport and how that allowed you to feel it, belonging to something bigger than the, than yourself? I think when you're young, you're, and, and Rocky probably about to this, like it depends on where you've come from, right? And, and how you get into your sport. But for me, for me personally, it was an escape. Like my home life was, was so hard with divorces, anorexia, stepdads, no dad in my life. Like it was, re- it was an escape. What I realized if I fast forward now is that as soon as I ran out of emotion and anger, I stepped away. I was starting to step away as I let go of the emotion and let go and understood who, what it was I went through. But I think when I look back to how, like when I first died out at 15, 14, 15, it could have been any sport, if, I think, if I'm honest. It could have been any sport. It just so happened to be rugby. But I cried on the way to training. I hated it. I didn't want to go. I had no, I had no drive to want to go and play rugby. It wasn't such rugby it was just a sense of being part of a team but even in my team when I was younger I didn't have the sense of belonging because there wasn't many girls who were playing and I was having to be sent to different clubs to go and play um so it wasn't it wasn't until probably I got to England Academy that I started to have a sense of people who wanted to be someone and go somewhere and have ambition and have purpose and there's a massive piece around purpose and when you're a young person, just clinging on to something. But that was the only thing, like sport was my scope. If I sit here now and I've got 10 opportunities, I now can't make a decision because I don't know where to go. And I can imagine as a young person, if you've got a privileged background and you've got decisions to make, almost that makes it harder to just go, boom, I'm focusing on this because you've got opportunity everywhere. For me, that was the only escape. Um, And it was one that Woodside got entered into it. I remember thinking like women's rugby, it wasn't that big, but I didn't know it was an Olympic sport until I got older. I value the Olympics probably more so than a World Cup. You don't really hear me talking about winning a World Cup and being part of a World Cup. And I've done five World Cups. I just didn't, I, I, I value the Olympics. I value, because that was my dream from a 13-year-old girl. If I look back now, I probably I might have chosen a sport that was in the Olympics earlier, if I'm honest. That's just me being honest. And it, and it, and it, and it was about me just being able to physically just empty my emotion empty my emotion maybe that's what people saw was just that but I had to have control with it so I had to learn how to control the emotion which is why when I got partnered with Dimitri on go hard or go home it was almost like the perfect fit in terms of he's full I can just see he's full of anger I can just see I need to shake him rival him and just and understand him um because that's where I started as a young person yeah 
And I guess you also used the word team there. And I guess team, community, family, at loose ends, we sort of use those words quite a lot. And so much so that one of our values is actually sense of sense of community. And the reason for that is because the feeling of belonging and connection is is so important. But I guess for for those people who don't have sport and, and they and they sort of miss out on that community angle, why is it important that I guess we try and get them into that team sport or the community feel or or the and, and, and sort of make the most of those connections? People make people, right? I think that's it. People make people. And I think the easiest thing to do when you're when you're struggling is to hide away. We've all done it. I still do it now. And actually, when you reach out to someone or when you walk down the street and someone says hi and that you have that connection, instantly it changes your day. Instantly. This will change Rocky's day now. It's change your day. It's change my day. Because we've been instantly connected. And I think sometimes it's so easy to pull ourselves into ourselves. Whereas actually, if a young person's struggling, the best thing they can do is just have passion like go and find their purpose. And sometimes you'll get a lot of young people going, I don't know my purpose. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What do you enjoy doing? Let's start with that. Let's just start with what you enjoy doing. And if you enjoy something, just go for it and have the balls to just go for it. Because I think a lot of people are so scared of, of not being that someone. I think I've been there as well, not being someone, especially maybe if you know you're not going to make international, where, where do you sit? If you're not going to make it, make it, why are you doing it? But actually, if we just aim for something, we'll meet people on the way and routes along the way that will help us somewhere else. I'd say that's a key thing, like since retiring for me, I've really struggled with my purpose. And, you know, if you look at my Instagram, you see that I've done and tried so many different things just to find that purpose. But it's about the journey, not the destination, isn't it? It's about like being part of the community, making friends, trying experiences, finding out what you do and don't like. And, and that is... That is just something that I've learned since retiring, and and I, I'm still. Searching. I think you're learning it. At, uh, we're learning it at an older age as well, aren't we? We're learning now. I feel like I'm learning stuff. Mm. Like I'll be honest, I didn't. I, I don't know how to. I couldn't even find your email, Rob. Like I'm finding that I can't even work Outlook. I can't even find an email that's somewhere replied in here. I, I can't. There's things that I should know, and I just don't know. But I've never had to worry about these things. I've never had to worry about things I'm now doing because I didn't have a clue I'm actually not very streetwise and I'm actually very naive to life and that's what I'm working out but I'm also sim- like different maybe different to you rocks like I'm not a very social person I'm a very out there person I and I and I'm willing to go bam and speak to anyone but actually I'm very I don't have loads and loads of friends I don't have loads of people who I'm connected to it's not good. It's not bad. I think it's just me. And I, I, maybe it's been me from a young age. And I've had people who I know, but to really trust people, I think comes from my childhood and I don't trust many people. And that's not because I don't want to, I actually don't know how to trust very well. Yeah. You have to, you have to be vulnerable and expose yourself, don't you? With the risk of it not working, but actually you've got to think about of all the opportunity that it could work and you could, make those those friendships but then i would argue and say i would argue and say that i'm very vulnerable with everything i speak about because i'm very open but i yeah not many people understand me like i'm finding in walks of life now there are other people who are starting to understand me and i'm starting to find my people that's 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 really difficult on the island i was around people who understood me the other warriors what why why do you think it is that you know you've never felt understood I think a lot of it came from losing my hair. A lot of it came from then. Like, it changed your identity straight away. Yeah. It changes who you are straight away. 
because you lose a massive height for personality. Yeah. I know now if I shaved someone's head off and, the, and you wouldn't get it back. If I said, Rock, I shave your hair off, you won't get it back. You'd go, no, don't, don't do it, don't do it. As soon as someone has cancer, the first thing they say is, I'm going to lose my hair. Yeah. Your hair shouldn't identify who you are, but it, it does. It, it makes a massive difference to who you are. When I lost my hair, I was in the system. I was in the England system. And it was just almost accepted that I lost my hair, but I hadn't accepted it. There was no help. No, no doctor or no coach said, right, fish, take time out, sort it out. It was just like, we just accept you. That's fine that you accept me, but I haven't accepted myself yet. Yeah. I haven't come to terms with it. And we're about to start a World Cup. So when you put it in that, when I look back and think about everything I did, I never did an interview about a scrum hat on. I didn't, I only played without, without anything on. And that was me just being free. That's the freedom. Under Streety, I could be free. But as soon as other coaches have come in and challenged me when I hadn't yet accepted who I was because of what I went through with my hair loss, that's when I felt like I was pulling the trigger. And that's when I felt like normal, everyday people weren't really understanding who I was because actually I hadn't accepted who I was. Yeah. How long do you think it took you to accept your alopecia and, and be comfortable with it and be a massive role model to so many people? I think it's ongoing. I'm trying to stop myself and crying now. I don't think it's fully accepted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not, that's, I think people just, people, and this is partly my responsibility, but people see that I don't struggle because I don't put it out there that I struggle. Not because I don't want to, I'm just dealing with it. Yeah. I don't feel the need to tell the world that I'm struggling, but am I struggling? You can, you can see it, but I've got to deal with it. And I think when you're judged every day, when you've been judged by coaches, from not fitting in, when you physically don't fit in, you're frigging bald, I'm a boiled egg, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't fit in, you don't know how I feel right now. Mm. So don't tell me how to be on the pitch or how to be, how to handle myself when I've not got a grip of who I am yet. But did anybody help me or mentor me through that? No. And I'm still playing international rugby at a high level, in both codes and then to sevens full time. So what would you change now? So you've got a a young international going through what you went through, and we're now in 2023, what would have made the difference to you then? What would you like to see now? Great question, Rocky. See a doctor. Who loses their hair and doesn't see a doctor? Fish. <laughs> I do. What the hell? When you look back and go, you didn't see, a, didn't see a doctor? No. Go and see someone who can help me with my immune system. How many athletes do you know at the top who've got a low immune system? None. Not, not the alopecia side of it. I've trained my whole life yeah. with such a low immune system. I've got ill nearly every week and I've just coped with it. So I would argue that I shouldn't yeah. have coped with it. A week before I come off games, I get diagnosed with glandular fever. It's your choice, Fish. We either go and play or we don't. Well, of course I'm going to go and play, but I'm freaking tired, mate. So how, how do you deal with it? Like I've had, you know, great S&Cs and coaches who have tried to manage me. But at the end of the day, having a culture where your coach can understand you and you see you're, you're working with a, um, a mindset coach specifically on yourself is what I probably needed. Manage and understand who I was so I could manage myself in a squad. Yeah. That's what I needed. Yeah. And then I probably needed, and then I probably needed the coaches to understand that if I'm not fully on it, it's, it's probably because of where I am in my life, not because of not wanting to be. Massive shift because I don't think I've had that. 
That's that's really interesting. One of the community questions from our academy actually um, is is quite linked to that, I guess. And it's, do you think the support for other players would be better now, thanks to you and your story? I would hope so. I'd hope from all the seniors that have, have come out of the game, every single rose that's come out of the game will better our game because it's not where it's not where it should be. Yeah. And I know that we go, we all go, wow, it's amazing the RFU you've got contracts now for pregnancy and all that. Mate, your tenure's too late. Yeah. Like, hello, this shouldn't even be an applaud. This shouldn't even be a wow factor. This should already just be in because it is what it is. And we seem to make these massive steps forward, but they shouldn't be massive. We've made them massive because they've never been there. So is the game in a better place? Yes, totally, because it can't not be. Is there more that could be done? Yes. Does women does does rugby as a whole need to improve? Yes, grassroots up to international. Yes, it's not good enough. I don't believe it's good enough, and I and I don't think we've been part of systems where they've been good enough either. And I think that's the frustration for me is that you've had such talented squads and players, and we have not had you. I don't think the world's in the very best of what's been there. Yeah, and again, fish. Obviously, you've you've always been so open and honest with your own story um, with alopecia, but also um, anorexia. You mentioned it before. We had Ellie Boatman on actually the podcast a few few months ago, talking about her own experiences. Um, you spoke about anorexia before. What I guess what were those initial signs for you when you were sort of growing up? Um, gosh, see, a lot of my past, I try and forget, which is why I can do what I do now. So I just, I just, I, I like if when people when when people in the squads have spoken about childhood stuff, I've switched off because I don't remember my childhood. I don't remember it, but it's because I've switched off from it because it was quite painful. Um, but early signs of anorexia, if I'm trying to think, um, I didn't know I didn't know I was anorexic until I was really, really stuck in a hole. Like I would cry for help, and then I'd be like, "Fuck off!" It'd be a battle like that for like years um and i don't think it ever it doesn't ever leave you ellie will always have to understand herself and manage herself and mm. i've always had to manage myself i think when you retire your body changes again obviously still got my six pack and my little bump at the end <laughs> yeah obviously but like you know i think um i don't think it ever leaves you and i think <clears throat> the early signs for me were how i should look versus how i look so then when you grow up as a young person, I just remember thinking how I should look as a young girl. Mm. But that wasn't how I was looking because I was starting to train. I was in the gym at 13. So, you know, I've always had muscles, always. So I was getting bigger at a young age as well because it was more muscular than anything else. Never being fat, but I put on weight pretty easily when I trained. So I remember just thinking, what should I look like versus who I am now? And then I was then rebelling against first divorce and then my mom getting remarried and then her getting pregnant and then not having my dad in my life I was rebelling against all that I think it was my way of just trying to find control of my life I had no control of my life and what was going on and all I could control what went in and that controlled them yeah and then being my family a lot of people with eating disorders talk about the control element because everything else seems so out of control that they can control what goes in their body, what goes out, that kind of thing. And would you say that that still plays a part now as, you're, as you've retired and, and you're 20 years, whatever, down the line? Do you still 
find that little thing creeping in to try and control you? No, I don't think... No, because I'm quite free and I'm quite, like quite free in my own life. Like I'm, I feel so lucky that I've retired and I can, I almost do what I want, which is great. I just, but I just feel no. But in terms of, I don't know because I'm going through all emotions all the time. If I'm honest, because like I'm now closer to my family. And there's a lot of go- my family's like EastEnders, like the shit that goes on <laughs> and the shit that's going on in my career. People have almost, I think people have some of the stories people probably know about me or my family. We think I've made it up because it's so extreme, and. You know, certain mates will know I've not because they, they know the truth. But it's almost so extreme what goes on in my, in my fam. It's like, yikes. If I speak about it, it's almost like a bit made up. But I promise, hand on heart, it's not. And it's like, I'm now so close to it. I now haven't got my escape of just going on the pitch and smashing someone and then chilling out. So it's like, I haven't... No, I don't think it controls me like that, rocks. But I think it... I, I'm always thinking about how I look. Like on episode one, for instance... I've go hard, go home. I'm six weeks post-op. I've done nothing in the month leading up to it. Well, months, I should say, since Tokyo, since since saying, please don't select me. I'm not good enough. To, to the, one of the hardest conversations I've had to a coach, to then having my op six months later, I couldn't do anything lower body-wise. And that's a massive chunk of my training. And then suddenly didn't have an op, and then yeah. six weeks later, on episode one, when I watched it, when I watched it... Um, you know, it's like, oh my God, my body. Like, I instantly think, oh, I'm so soft. I'm so soft. And as I get through the program, I harden up because I think, sod this, this is one joint out of how many joints I've got. I've got to start running. And I started running. I wasn't ready to run. And Mr. Williams wasn't very happy. But I had to do something because I had to control my emotions. I had to do something. I couldn't just sit in every warrior go for a run and I could not go. I had to do something. And it almost gave me that purpose back again about, how I felt again about myself. So it creeps in in terms of your body image. I think body image is a big thing. When you retire, yeah. how your body changes. You, you, I go from training, what, I don't know, five hours a day with sevens to then I now do two, you know, and that's if I want to. And that includes a bit of gardening. Do you know what I mean? I love my garden. So like if that, my, my it's never going to be the same. But understanding, understanding this and that is, is I suppose, is separate things, right? Yeah, and that's certainly something since I've retired, it's been difficult to let go of that athlete mentality of, of nailing however many hours in the gym to now, you know, I feel so guilty if I have two, maybe even three days off in a row and I feel like a beach whale. But but actually, that's okay. That That's okay just to listen to your body, to go and do other things. But it's very hard to lose that mentality that I had for so long. Yeah, no, I I have found that. I have found that. I've been lucky enough that if I've had something coming up to train for, like go hard, go home, for instance, I couldn't really train for it because it was all about just being knee fit for the island because BBC took a bit of a chance on me because I wasn't fit when they selected me originally. Um, But I've had something to train for and that's had to push me through. Someone said to me once, Fish, like the opportunity is ahead of you, so get yourself ready now. And when you think about that, I think actually whatever's ahead of me in the next year, two years, three years, I've got to get ready now. So this mentally and physically, physically, that includes training. So whatever it is that's going to come up in your in your life rocks the next two, three years, you've got to be ready. When they Because TV, media, all that side of it and talks, all that side of it, you never know what's around the corner. So you've got to start now. Be prepared like a girl guide. <laughs> I just want to go back to sort of your, your teenage years and sort of that... Um, that that first time you sort of reached out for help and and how that sort of came about 
I know that you also worked with a nutritionist and, and there was that sort of moment where you sort of told the nutritionist that you wanted to be an Olympian and the nutritionist sort of replied by saying, you know, you, you're going to have to eat and fuel yourself in the right way to be an Olympian. Um, sort of what, what was it like, sort of that first step? When you step out, even though you know, like, rugby was in the Olympics at the time. So it was about, I remember watching the Olympics on TV and then I remember just thinking, I want to be an athlete. So it wasn't specifically, I want to be an athlete. And I didn't know what sport. Yeah. It could have been any sport. I, really, I, know, I now know looking back with all my physical presence and stuff, it could have been any sport. I think I can just apply my mindset really well. Yeah. And I've got, you know, I, think I can adapt really well. But when you first seek for help, you don't, you don't really believe that you need the help. It just so happened to be one voice at the right time when I was forced to be somewhere. Like I was someone who every night after school, I was forced to weigh in. I was forced to go and see the counsellor. I was forced to see the psychologist and forced to see the nutritionist. I was stopped from all PE lessons. I missed a year of school. Like no one's even, no one even knows that. There's so much about my history that no one knows because I, I don't even, I've shut off to it because it was, because of what I said to you. It's just, it's just, it, it's, there's a lot. And so when I think about that, I think, I had no choice but to do what I was doing in terms of like seeing the doctors, seeing the counsellors. Go, I went to hospital, saw loads of girls being fed off drips. I was like, I was, I was, I was a stick. There's no pictures. There's no images. I was gone. I was, I, I, I was really bad. I was, I was really ill. I was under six stone. I was really bad. And uh, you don't think you need the help, so you don't really, you don't really cry for help. But then. There are moments where, like, my mom was obviously going through her divorce and was going through a hell of a lot, and I became strong for her. So I just put her before me. And then it got to a stage where I suppose I was crying between needing help and screaming, saying, I need help, mom. And then she would try and help me, and I'd go, fuck off. So it was like that for years, Rob. So it, it was the initial call out of knowing that nutritionist, like, I was just full. I remember, I, I can't see his face. I just remember sitting in that waiting room and then turning left into a room and sitting on a chair. That's all I remember. Um, and he said, you won't, be, you won't be an athlete unless you eat. That was all it took, which is why mentoring is so important and people sharing their story and people having one-to-one conversations is so important because it takes one voice at one time at the right time, though, just to change your life like that. That's it. I walked out and I just remember thinking, i start eating. I went home and started eating. It's simple as that, but not proper food, just special K, just pasta, just rice and cheese. Because that was that was that was in my eyes. You, know, you laugh, but in my eyes, that was there were the safe foods. Yeah. Any other food I'd put on weight. Didn't want to put on weight. Then I remember just. I then I remember like I was missing so much school, and I I wasn't even allowed to walk to school. I wasn't allowed to get the bus to school. I would be forced to eat half a banana before I even got driven to school. Oh. Like that's how bad life was. I was picked up from school. I wasn't allowed to walk back anywhere. I wasn't allowed to do anything because I was that that close to just collapsing. And then I just remember starting to make England and being really tearful all the time because my emotions were everywhere. Like, because I'd gone through a massive eating disorder. No one knew. No one, no one knew. Like, Rocky's probably thinking, I didn't, she didn't probably even know this. And Rocky's known me from England Academy. Yeah. No one knew. But there were games where I'd be on it and there'd be games where I was not on it. And I knew it's because I hadn't eaten for three days. No one just knew that. And so when a coach would say, Fish, why is it you can be like outstandingly up here and then you can be really, really fatigued and not really present? I knew the answer. They didn't know the answer. But again, they didn't get to know me as a person. I would argue that in a team, we know people superficially. Mm. But we don't really know people. 
we don't really know deeper than the deeper levels because we're there to do a job and we just we learn a frigging line out frigging line outs you know we do a scrum like great a scrum you know do you know what i mean like you can tell i'm infused by scrums and line outs but like you know we just do our job and then we get off and we chat and have banter about it and that's it we don't actually know deeper than the person and i think that's where that's where sport as a whole can start to really develop is knowing the person but that comes from a culture and that comes from the coaches that comes from having the right setup uh, and that's coming now i think i've definitely seen that in england sevens you know i've not been a part of england 15s for a while but definitely seen that in england sevens and that's what drew me to england sevens is i could completely be understood and, and be myself with my own identity do you think that's what you're doing now then as a coach and a mentor is finding out who that person is behind the player not necessarily but i do believe that the quicker I can get in someone's head, the quicker I can understand them, the quicker I can make a difference. Yeah. So I am always working people out in whatever industry I'm in, whether I'm in a room doing a talk to the hundreds of people or whether I'm coaching one-to-one. It doesn't matter. I've got to understand people. The quicker I can understand someone right in front of me, the quicker I can make, I can, I can influence. And as soon as you can influence and use those skills, the better equipped you'll be and, and the more you're able to help someone else. Yeah. I think it's very difficult when, I don't specifically love coaching at the moment, like, it, it feels a bit of a chore. But I think that's because the rugby's owned my life for so long. I'm not ready yet. I'm, I'm doing bits of it. It feels better in the sunshine. But it's, you know, it's... Uh, I, I I don't yet know how to coach everything that I've done because I've just done it. So I'm just trying to work out those steps. And it hasn't, it hasn't always been rugby, has it? I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the bobsleigh um stuff so I'd, I'd just i'd love to know sort of how that decision came about and what made you go for that oh well, i got dropped from england to england students i got dropped from academy to students um and again from a coach that didn't understand me just took me for i didn't fill out my nutrition diary but maybe you'll know from this conversation now it's got history you know i didn't fill out certain things that that was what it was over my nutrition diary i didn't fill it in because for me it was triggering a lot of my past yeah so I remember having the phone call to say, Fish, you dropped. I was like, oh, right, why? And it was for all the, the small things, like, you know, I forget, forget my gum shield or didn't fill out my nutrition diary. That came up. And for me, it was very much like, that's fine. It is what it is. I'm not ever going to try and convince you to take me on, you know? So I just, you know, as you do, I took myself off to the gym. And because I'm always going to train and I'm always going to work hard, you know, just because someone has an opinion and doesn't think uh, you're ready yet. I knew I was ready because I just finished Super Fours and I knew what, I knew what just happened in Super 4, so I knew I was on good form. But if someone doesn't like me or doesn't want me, in rugby, it's very difficult. Team sports are really hard because it's sometimes if your personality fits. And that's probably where I've struggled, is that I'm a little bit more of a, an out-there personality yeah. in a different way. Um, and, yeah, I sat in a coffee shop, and, and then someone randomly came up to me and just said, you look pretty strong. What sport do you do? I said, rugby. And they just said, do you fancy trying out for GB bobsleigh? I was like, what the hell? I just knew about cool runnings and lucky eggs. I knew nothing else. But my, if I go back to when I spoke a minute ago, my dream was to be an athlete. And I had an opportunity of a Winter Olympics. So I just phoned Street E and I said, if I'm good enough, I'll make it when I get back. Thank you very much. You went fish. I was like, I'll yeah, that's the way it is. If I'm good enough, I will make it when I get back. And that's exactly what I did. I said, and, he, and he must have thought I was crazy and bonkers. But I am, and I'm crazy and bonkers, and I'll take a risk. That's me. To be honest, it, it gave me it gave me the power to then cross it back over. It gave me my power from, and my speed and my power, my acceleration. It gave me all of that. 
And that saw me through the whole of my career. What was that first time down a bobsleigh like? Fucking mental. <laughs> I hate it. Is it. One of the scariest things you've done. No, it's not scary. It's ridiculous. We're going 90 miles an hour down the ice, flipping left and right and centre. You, I thought I got boshed around in rugby, or I did the boshing. But like I thought I did the boshing rugby. All of a sudden, this tin can is lit. My head's bouncing off it. My, my face is going forward. My nose is streaming. My eyes are streaming. The G-forces, the G-forces through my back are insane. Like my forearms, like my stomach from holding on so tight to stay in. Because yeah. if you get caught on the side and your head gets caught, so you've got to tuck in. You know, so I was proper like, whoa, got to the bottom. And the first time down, the first time down was in Lake Placid in Canada. Uh, and we got down, we got down and I remember, uh, I've been really slow. I remember just now being in the back thinking, oh my God, that's mental. And then my driver like jumped out, like, come on fish, let's go, let's go get the bobs off. And I was like, what, what? And I was like, oh my God, I've just been spun in the washing machine backwards, like, like a piece of tumbleweed, right? Like, I'm a helmet, because i got such a small head. My helmet was, like, doing this. And I was like, fuck, what? I was, like, I was all over the place. I was literally, like, a mess. It's only 56 seconds of my life, but the ins- most insane 56 seconds of my life. And I got out, and they're, right, let's go again to the top. Oh. And the second time we went down, we crashed. So we went down. We are nearly, I think we were on corner, like, 12. And we went round. I remember just going round to the left. I remember holding on here, going round to the left. And we just tippled over, like straight over. And I was like, oh shit, so I'm holding on really tight. And the best thing about crashing is that once you've done it, you know you're okay, you know you're safe. As long as you know how to tuck in and you fit in, you're safe. And you, But everything's burning, your forearms, your, your, your stomach, everything's burning because you're so crunched up. <sighs> oh my God, take a breath. And then I'm over, and I just remember thinking, oh my God, I went to get out, went to like lift my head, and I heard this voice going, Hold on, fish. She's like, what? <laughs> and then it started going backwards. I was like, whoa, this bobsled is now going backwards because obviously you can't just start. You've been going at 90 miles an hour and now it's about to go backwards. So then it was going backwards and I was like, shit, now it's going forwards. Like, whoa. <laughs> and you had to tuck in and it came to like a complete standstill. And then it's, oh and then it's go again. Yeah. Come on, grab it. went three times that day. I just remember thinking in my head, what have I done? Yeah. What have I done? I've left England rugby for this. But then I remember thinking, I've laid my bed now, fish. Just have a shot, give it a shot. And then I had to make weight, which is sitting hours in the sauna, making weight. That was really tough. And I was already quite lean as it was. That was hard. And then my ball patches started to trigger. And then I started losing my hair. And then I started getting glandular fever. And then I thought, I was, I was, I was like at the world champs. I got pulled out of the world champs in Samaritz. My parents were so mad at me. My mom and stepdad, they just bought tickets, the most expensive blase place in Switzerland, I think it was. And I was like, Dr. Richard Budget from the um, um, I at the time pulled me out and um, yeah, glandular fever. So I got pulled out of that. And then I had six months off and thought, I just want to be normal. And that lasted two weeks. Wow. Wow. What, what I guess before we get onto the, the the silly bits at the end of this podcast what are your three fish tips to myself or to someone else to someone else to people listening to this i think the biggest one is like trusting yourself like trust that you'll always be okay like whether it's rocks or it's yourself like whatever walk of life you're in you've got to trust yourself i've known i'll always be okay but how that looks and how that emotionally feels 
it's just difficult because it's like you're clinging on to these emotions and how it should look or how it feels. I'm going to cling on to this emotion as opposed to just letting the emotions run in front of you and go, this is how I feel right now. It's not great, but I'm just going to trust that I'll be okay and I'm going to keep going forward. I think I think trusting yourself is a really big one in any walk of life. And I think the second one for me is just being, being brave enough to be yourself. I don't think many people are themselves. A lot of people hide. And a lot of people, you know, when I walked out of my contract, I said, sorry, I can't be here. So many people like, didn't understand it. So many people turned their heads about it. I know it wasn't right. That's all I know. So you can only go by what you know about yourself. And if everyone else wants to make opinions, that's their decision. But you can only follow yourself and how you feel. And so being brave enough to follow what you know is right is really tough to do and be yourself. I love that. I love that. What do you think? Mm, I love, I'm, I'm definitely a massive advocate of being authentic and in any work I do, you'll get the rocky personality come across. I'm, you know, I'm like you. I'm just, I don't want to blend in. I just want to be myself and be true. Um, so yeah, probably be true to yourself and be authentic would be my, uh, my pair. It's hard to do. I think, especially when you're in team sport, like someone said to me the other day from another country, they said, fish, um, if you're going to be involved with us, uh, you leave your individuality at the door. What? Like individuality is what makes a team. If you look at any team, the best teams in the world, the best athletes have their weapons. You don't have, when you, when you look at a 100 meter race, you don't see every athlete looking the same. They all have their personality on the start line. Yeah. Some with purple hair, some with chains, some with like big glasses on and you know, whatever they wear, everyone has their own style because that's who they are and that's how they run their best. And then we go to team sport and people go, this is our system, our box, this is how we're going to do it. That's fine that we're doing it like this, but within that, you're gonna get some players who will go there before they get there. Or there before they go there, or some players who just do that, because that's what they're told. I was that player who went there before I got there. <laughs> but I'll get there, and I'll be trusted to get there under certain coaches. But I have you have to find your own way of making the system work. The system's two ways. The system can't work about the athletes and the players, and the players can't work about the system. Yeah, I guess the one of the one of the components of this podcast is where we challenge each guest that comes on um, to take part in a, in a bit of a challenge in in honor of the Loose Heads podcast. And this one, I guess, for you is a little bit different because I what we're doing at Loose Heads at the moment is we're creating a mini series where we're highlighting stories in in women's rugby from professional to grassroots. And I would love to get you involved, Fish. So it's basically a question rather than a challenge. Would you get involved in? in this sort of thing with with us yeah was it what does it entail it's it's just highlighting women's rugby um stories but i guess how rugby has helped and the community has helped and the family has helped support that person and that individual um so i'd love to get you involved in in that nice that's good nice nice um now for the silly (laughs) stuff so we every week we have a thought of the week we actually call it the pensive pre-pod poo ponder and it's sponsored by sam james who plays for sale and his question for you today it's 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 an either or so he has sent in a voice note so here we go i'll play it down the mic would you rather never pay for food in your life again um that's just food shops not eating out or um would you rather never pay for travel, i.e. plane tickets, petrol, etc.? Oh, good question. I think, 
What an interesting question. Who asked that? <laughs> he is full of them. Well, um, I would rather never pay for petrol. Yeah. Just my never. tits in. You know, one of my <laughs> worst things in life is standing there, wasting time, putting petrol in my car. Yeah. I would rather run out than stand there and put petrol in my car. <laughs> recently moved house and there's this little dude who comes out and put who puts pressure on my car and i'm like i just love coming here because i'm That's gonna get cool. out of the car thank you that so is much cool. and esso this is a I'm, I'm gonna go in on esso here it takes forever to fill up at esso compared to the others it's ridiculous i just hate yeah and you know like oh my god like it is the one of the most annoying jobs do you not think rocky <laughs> putting petrol in a car oh it's, it's a ball ache like, and the amount that we travel is just horrendous i feel like i'm there like twice a week and and yeah i'm i count to 10 about a million times because <laughs> i'm so bored i've now got to stage where i count to 20 when i get to 20 whatever i've got in my tank is what i've got well if so you're at so i don't stand there on 20 seconds <laughs> Five pounds. Uh, so you see the man down the road and he puts you know, his morning fish and sticks it in. I'm like, that's what I need. Yeah. yeah. And finally, I guess, what is your question for the start of the podcast with our next guest? My question would be, do you name your plants? <laughs> Amazing. And now I'm going to ask you, do you name your plants? I'm guessing that's a yes. I name some of them. I've got a lot of plants. I'm sitting in one room now that's got one, two, three, three six plants. Six, six names. I love a plant because you know what? Yeah, but I can't remember. look. This one's this one's like this one's this one's like Bob here. It's just like this is the one the cat was getting. Bob. You know what I mean? This one's a great one, Figgy. This one's Figgy. This is really nice. Don't you love a plant? Rock, you need plants in yeah. your life, mate. Real? I do. I, I'm literally looking around. I've got no plants in my life. Um, oh, come on, yeah, that could be the way forward. They plants release happy hormones. That's yeah. true. Okay. They're just like going to the shops. Yeah, you're in the park and stuff. Like plants release happy hormones. So if in doubt, hug a tree or just get near your plants. Or do your pods near your plants? Plants and pods and plants. The three Ps. <laughs> do you know what? I I did the same as Rocky. I'm like looking around thinking, shit, I have no plants. I need. To, do you know what? I did actually think about it the other day. I was going to go down to the garden centre and get a plant, but I didn't get around to it. So I will do that this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what fish i'm gonna do it this weekend i'm gonna send you a photo of, of um that's my okay, challenge that's your challenge you have to put on it on the loose heads instagram instagram yeah all right Tag i'll do everyone. it that's my challenge for this weekend all right deal and maybe fish you could hug a tree and put it up and name your tree she's thinking which tree now she's thinking yeah <laughs> i can do that yeah Perfect. Fish, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed listening to your story. You're, you know, you speak so openly, so passionately, and no doubt it it does help a lot of people and it will help a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Fishy. No worries, Rocky. Hope you fix your laptop.